This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Back in a big way, right at the beginning of my book tour. You are a complete disappointment. Is my new book, and I'm here joined by the man without whom this would not be possible. The great, the world's greatest piano player, Mickey Finn. Can you dig it? So I thought today we're on this tour. We are troubadours for a troubled world. We are beatniks of the 21st century, and we're taking our message around the planet. We've been to, uh, well, we've been to New Jersey so far. <laughs> Yes, uh, but we've we're, covered half the planet. But we're, we're, but we're headed your way. L.A., San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Chicago, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Cobble Hill, back to New Jersey. We are on our way. This is the You Are a Complete Disappointment book tour, and it's awesome every step of the way. And I'm really, really, really proud, happy, thrilled. I'm cavelling. I'm cavelling, and uh, I was going to use my Joe Franklin voice for this man who's a very, 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 very big, 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 big star. He's bigger than big. He's big, 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 big. Let's hear it for Mickey Finn. Yeah. Hello. You can. Um, do the kids know who Ben, who uh, Joe Franklin is? Do the kids don't know who fucking Dean Martin is? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so you, you, you got me, and you know, as, as, as we as we travel, as we do. As we uh, ride the rails, itinerant blues hobos that we are, it's, it's amazing to find out what people don't know. You know, uh, <laughs> you know. I, I wrote a book about the history of sex on the newsstand, and just now I'm bumping into people who say they have never heard of Penthouse magazine, um, have heard of Hustler but have never seen it, and have heard of Playboy but have never seen it. And of course, it's now too fucking late because the girls are all gone. Crazy world we live in. But Mickey Finn, today I want to put the spotlight on you. You are the man who makes me sound good. And uh, talk about troubled times. You are a keyboard player and a guitar player's world. Oh, you poor yes, thing. I, I have been for a long time. <laughs> um, God, I had no, no use for you, actually, frankly, until just recently. It was all about the guitars, the punk rock, uh, and occasionally the, the bottleneck, the pedal steel, and variations thereof. But That's um, kind of how it goes for keyboard players. You are often added to a band, or they decide they can afford one, or uh, <laughs> we want this sound now, and they hire a keyboard player. Well, let's go back. Let's go way back. Yeah, that's the Rocket Tom Thurman invention today. We are loaded for bear. It's the uh, You Are a Complete Disappointment Tour. I'm talking to Mickey Finn. Uh, Tommy, you started out, I'm sure, uh, trying, thinking you were going to join Yes or Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. Yeah, probably. I mean, <laughs> at 12, I wanted to be in Rush, but they were all filled up. And <laughs> that, 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 I was a better keyboard player than Getty Lee, but uh, <laughs> not a better singer. So... Uh, so 
So, so tell us about the formative years. I want people to know that Mickey uh, Finn, you may remember him from such bands as Boss Hog, The Left Bank, and The Miracles. That's right, as in Smokey Robinson and The. That's true. Smokey was played by a uh, ex Rams linebacker at that time. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize this that is he, true. He, this is true. He, this is not. We're not kidding here. Yeah. Mickey did play with with the Miracles. I did. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that uh, Smokey left the band in, in 72, I think, and uh, the band continued on and continued to have hits, uh, Love Machine probably being the biggest one and the one that I remembered. And I told Bobby Rogers this, uh, much to his chagrin and, and, and laughter, that that was the only song of theirs that I remembered actually coming out because it came out in 75 <laughs> when I was very, very young. Everything else was before my time, but uh, he was a really cool cat, and I would go to his house and, and talk about the old... And he was the only original member at that time. And, and when I found out the greatest thing about him, he wrote First I Look at the Purse, which is a song I knew from Jay Giles and had no idea the Contours version, but you know later learned that. And, and he was like, yeah, I wrote that. And he told me why and what it was all about. And I, I think it's, it's amazing of all, all the guys I know. I mean, you've actually she got direct roots to, uh, to to Motown. Yeah, which was a huge uh, thing for me, you know. And my dad was in my parents' second date. They went to see the Four Tops, and my dad was oh. the biggest Temptations fan, and uh, would tell me, you know, these guys not only could they sing. They could dance better than anybody. They look good, and you know, and they were. And I got to work with Barrett Strong later on when I was in Detroit and record some of that music. So all that stuff. My parents actually came to see me. You know, play with some of these bands, and it was just a huge thrill to you know because they were very big supporters of mine. Well, I, I think in, in, in that regard, your experience growing up is much different <laughs> than mine. Yeah, there will be and, no uh, complete disappointment and, tour for me. Yeah, so. yeah. Hence the, the title of my book because my uh, parents were less than enthusiastic about the idea, not even about having a career in music, about the idea of just playing music. <laughs> you know, like drums. No, <laughs> waste of time. I mean, I can understand why parents wouldn't want their kids. To well, my mom, uh, but um, happy Mother's Day to my mom, who I hope is listening. Um, but she took me to piano lessons. My parents bought a house when I was when I was young. There was a piano in the basement, and like a lot of situations oh, where this happens, they they left it there. And and my mom asked me if I wanted to, um, you know, go study with this woman, and I did. And she drove me to lessons for years. And the only pia- always, the only know, the only piano teacher stories I know were things that I wrote for penthouse letters <laughs> years later, and I'm sure sure that story ended out differently than yours. I don't know. Did you ever have sex with your piano teacher? No, she was a senior citizen when I was seven. So okay, I, she probably had senior citizen. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but the part the important part is that you were seven, not that she was a senior citizen. Yeah, I think that's the, the <laughs> yeah the. the <laughs> <clears throat> I hope my mom's still listening. Uh, but that no, I think that's great. And I think um, it's really important to leave musical instruments around the house for your kids. If had there been a piano in my house, there's no, I definitely would have played it. I played one at, at school. There was one like in the band room, and I, I kind of yeah. played a couple chords. And it was like, oh, this is great. I came home and said. I want to play the piano. And my father said, no, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And the irony is, years later, when I became kind of a you know, moderately successful drummer in these punk rock bands, my mother would just say, I wish you had played the piano. Yeah. I was like, I wanted to. Don't you remember? I came <laughs> home. I said, please, get me a yeah. piano. Oh, your father wouldn't let you. you know, like, now, my mother always said that she wanted to have children that played the piano, and she had two. My sister is also wow. a, a, a piano player. and was a phenomenal piano player and, and studied and got she, a lot farther in classical music than I, than I ever did. Because you're the world's greatest piano player. Does she know that? Yes. I does she call, does she call I, you up she, and say, what the fuck? <laughs> your parents like... like, like you're second greatest, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's 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 that it's that old old joke. It's uh, that woman and, and just the first woman president, the first female president, uh, and the first Jewish female president, and she's up there on the on, on the Capitol steps, and she's being sworn in on the inauguration day, and her, and her mom's. You know, in the front row in the, in the audience, and she she turns to the guy next next to her. Mom says, "You see that woman up there? That one with her hand on the Bible? Her brother's a doctor." <laughs> <laughs> that, that is an old one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So we've been, we've been, we've been on the road uh, telling stories from uh, my new book. You are a complete disappointment. We've uh, been terrorizing the East Village in New Jersey so far. Like I said, we're going to on our way west. Uh, I can't wait. And uh, I want to tell everybody the story about how uh, we uh, found this traveling team of uh, itinerant storytellers. Uh, but I thought maybe we would uh, tell a story and give people a dose. What do you think about that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this is from my book, You Are a Complete Disappointment. And uh, why don't you lay it down for me in the, the heavy style, something in the, something in the key of minor. My father was having a hard time speaking. He was on his deathbed, quite literally, in an Arizona hospital room, one of the best money could buy, with all sorts of tubes exploding out of his arms, monitors beeping and buzzing, nurses bustling in and out to check the connections and interpret the blizzard of numbers that flashed on and off like Christmas lights on a Matterhorn of rack-mounted biotech. A pinball parlor's worth of LED readouts that could just as easily have read, extra ball, or special when lit. He was breathing erratically through a milky plastic oxygen mask that collected spittle like the early morning dew, and he waved me over to the bed. I'm glad you're here, he began. There is something I want to tell you. So I sidled up close to hear what he had to say, and there was a soft sucking sound from inside the mask. The sound of an air valve doing its thing, and his eyes were clear, they were lucid blue. You, he said, are a complete disappointment. And he sucked another lungful of oxygen out of the mask, and his eyes opened up like saucers. He was just getting started. You are a failure, he leveled, gaining strength. You think you are a hotshot in New York writing books, but you're not. No one wants to read your shit. It's obviously you don't even like yourself, he added, before turning to my younger brother, the Wall Street mocker who was standing next to me wearing a dirty t-shirt from a recent Who reunion concert. It's been a pleasure to watch you grow up, he said to him. My father's breathing had become a Greek chorus of pulmonary angst. He sounded like Darth Vader, if Darth Vader were an old Jewish man dying in a hospital bed. And then he turned his attention back to me. You are broken, he said, and need to be fixed. Never mind the immediate challenges, the masks, the tubes, the electrodes, the IV drip, the demoralizing disposable pale green hospital gown. The old man delivered his message right over the plate. You aren't as smart as you think you are, he hacked. And after taking a moment to catch his breath and marshalling every bit of strength he could, leaning forward like the carved wooden mast on a pirate ship and spitting into his oxygen mask, he added, you are the only person in this family who is fat. If vitriol were a baseball, they would have had it said some mustard on it. I was speechless, and I watched his pitch sail by without swinging as stoic as Kaliga, the famous cigar store Indian, 
There wasn't much else I could do. Not to set the bar of what it means to be a mensch too low, but there's no way I was going to fight with a breathless dying man. And the truth is that my father never liked me very much. For years, he railed at me with no attempt to reserve his anger. I resent you because you were having more fun than I did at your age. I didn't begin to have fun until I was 55, and I heard variations of this tune my whole life, recurring themes of jealousy and contempt. When I was 19 and my band was beginning to see some moderate success, being booked for tours of Europe and opening for the Ramones, he hissed, I hate you because you get to live your dreams before I get to live mine. And with every new volley, he became more agitated. His blood pressure was punching a hole in the sky. His oxygen level was going south fast. You didn't need a degree in advanced medical engineering to know that the numbers racing on the readouts weren't the good news everyone had been hoping for. Then again, seething as he was, he wasn't really helping his own cause. A fresh phalanx of nurses came crashing in, like a Navy SEAL team to try to calm him. It was fucking scary, and it was fucking weird, although I'm still not sure if it was John Waters weird or David Lynch weird. It certainly wasn't any fun. And then he dropped the bomb. His last great mortal concern. This is what had dis- this is what had turned disgust into ire, and ire into top fuel rage. He leaned forward, fighting the trauma team, so he could spit it out from behind the oxygen mask, which was now opaque with spew, and he let me have it. I can't believe someone as smart as you likes professional wrestling. It was the last thing he ever said to me. Well, there you have it. Uh, the beginning of chapter one from You Are a Complete Disappointment. That's the world's greatest piano player, Mickey Finn, uh, on piano with me. And we are on the road taking it to a town near you. Uh, Mickey, I'm really lucky to have a collaborator uh, like like you. And um, it fell together pr- pretty naturally for, for us, actually. Yeah. Tip of the hat to Henry Mancini on that one, by the way. That's a little <laughs> thing we stole from him. So. No one would ever figure that out. But Well, you know, good orders bar and great ones steal. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, it's okay. I've stolen. I've, st- I've stolen from better than him. Yeah, I've stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I've stolen from worse, and, and much, 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 much worse. Um, yes, we're uh, we're doing this thing. It's uh, hey, so we how we met. How we met. Yeah. Um, well, y- you were tuning John Spencer's piano, I believe, is how this story starts. Yeah, I had a band in in New York in the early two thousands. I still know what we call that decade, and uh, I had a drummer named Dave who's daughter went to school with charlie spencer who is now off to brown university but at the time was a elementary school school student in new york and uh john had talked to dave about finding a piano technician and uh contacted me and john bought this very old piano that i brought back to life and eventually asked me to record with heavy trash a great john spencer band with medford ray who's an excellent musician and uh, studio owner in new york and uh I think we have uh, some varying uh, yeah, we sort stories of, about how, when we actually met. Well, it was through I, John somehow. It was definitely through John, and um, I believe though it was the night when I had my band, the Space Liberation Army, which had John on guitar and our friend uh, Dean Rispler on bass and Hollis from Boss Hog on drums. And you're also at, playing at with Frank's Boss Lounge, Hog. which is the first place I ever played in New York because I lived, I moved right across the street from there when I moved to Brooklyn. Frank's Cocktail and Lounge it was in the Fort only Green. bar in Fort Green at that time, which. It'd be and, hard and, for some and, young person to believe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, young people. Um, 
Yeah, and I think basically, I think that was the, the, the night I said, hey, what are, you, what are you doing tomorrow? I was doing a reading. It was my first book. Uh, I say reading, and I want to get back to this too because what we do is definitely not a reading, and probably our biggest challenge is trying to communicate well to people what it is we do do. But the next day, um, I was beginning to experiment with music and and storytelling. I started out with a bongo player. Next thing I knew, I, at one point, I had a band with about seven people in it. But we played outside at uh, Freebird Books uh, the next afternoon on the porch. I was flipping burgers. That definitely... Yes, that, that's my... To me, that was when we met. I walked in, and you were in a chef's hat, reading from your book <laughs> and flipping burgers with the other hand. And I, I sat at my piano while that was going on, and then we, began, we immediately began working together, and we've been doing this ever since, which is... It's pretty incredible. Flipping burgers and reading. That was definitely um, my avant-garde barbecue statement. And I became very close to being the only author to ever burn his own book that day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we've we've done so so much since then, um, including getting drunk on the Motown lawn. Uh, I think... true. uh, we talk. We talk about this after every show we do. How do you how do you describe what it is we do? Because even today, I was looking in the LA Weekly. There's a uh, an um, you know an announcement for I'm going to be in LA at the last bookstore on uh, the 17th of May. It's coming right up, and I've got great musicians playing with me. I've got Mike Sobieski from the Pleasure Fuckers. Oh my God, I haven't played with him in, in you know 20 plus years. I'm really excited. My friend Shane Solaski uh, is playing bass, and uh, possibly a very special superstar guest drummer yet to be confirmed. If he gets a release from from John. Fogarty right. or Celine Dion, whoever has booked him that day. That's not a joke either. Not a joke. Um, uh, and I saw the listing and said, oh, a discussion with author Mike Edison. And I just want to fucking kill myself. It's like you do all this stuff. You, you write charts. You write music. You have music cues. I work so hard. We rehearse our fucking asses off. I show up with like you know, musical instruments, a soundtrack, and I look at the paper and it says, a discussion. Yeah, you rarely have a discussion with Mike Edison. It's uh, Mike. Mike does a lot of the a lot of the talking. So right there is a problem. Uh, hey, I'm a warrior poet in the classic sense. Yeah, you yo. are. Yeah, <laughs> discussion is a poor choice of words. But no mention of the rocket tone. It's, there. I think no it's, mention of like you know that this is this is a happening. You know, this is not a quote unquote reading. You know why? Because readings suck, yeah, and that's why we started this. Well, most of them do anyway. Yeah. You know, and how many bad readings have you been to? And you write the word reading, but we've and been guaranteed lot, yeah. no one's gonna come yeah we've been to a lot of bad readings yeah how, and how many have we been responsible for zero <laughs> well i think we've fallen into some sort of entertainment crack that uh, lacks <laughs> definition it's not a reading it's not a spoken word it's not a rock concert it, it's all those things and and not any of those things I th- yeah, I, we need somebody to help us describe. We, this we, thing. we definitely do, and you know, I was always like trying to look for someone to manage this. And where someone said I should look for is to the comedy world. Someone said you need a, not a rock manager, you need a comedy manager. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> um, all, re- all managers are comedy managers. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, I, my dream is to do this like Mike Edison and uh, the Interstellar Rendezvous Band, or Mike and Mickey, whatever we're happy to be calling it that day, live from the Village Vanguard. To me, this would fit very well in a jazz club, but I have this vision of Jack Kerouac reading with Steve Allen, which is where I, where I got this concept in, in the first place. And frankly, I don't even like Jack Kerouac. I think his books are fucking boring. No, I've never been a fan. Um, but he sounds amazing reading you know, especially the passages about jazz and sights and sounds with the jazz behind right. him. Those records he made are absolutely fantastic. And that's where the, the, the concept came for and this determination to never be boring. Right. Um, yeah. Well, most authors are not performers, and you happen to be one that is and has a long background in performing. And I think that's part of the problem. A book is a book. You read it in solitary, and 
and the author is on the printed page and, and that the way that works is one thing. To stand up in front of people and entertain them is a completely different discipline. And most people are not prepared to do that. We've seen many people that are very extremely nervous. Uh, or don't understand projection. And I don't want to slag on authors. It's just that it's oh. it's a completely different thing, and you can't take it for granted that, oh, I just get up and read from my book, and that's the same thing, and it's going to be as entertaining as my book. It's not. And, and it's not. And, uh, you know, you, you and I, we work very hard on this. We rehearse things. The stuff that I read is from the book, but it's been edited for reading as well. Right. You know, it's really been presented for, uh, you know, a, a live experience. And there's a visual element to it, too. Right. Um, you know, God, my first book tour, I went out, um, back when I was the next big thing, <laughs> you're looking for the bourbon. It's right here. Someone very thoughtfully, yeah, brandy. Someone brandy. very thoughtfully left us this artisanal. Uh, it says brandy, but then it says underneath it says Kentucky bourbon whiskey. See, this this is the problem with the fucking artisanal liquor movement. It, it's 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 completely confused. It says brandy. Well, brandy is a blended whiskey. It says brandy, so it but underneath it says Kentucky bourbon whiskey. But well, bourbon is a straight. Whiskey, but it does. It has to copper be. pot distilled, but it, it, it's American white oak. There's so many messages. This is. Is see, it artisanal? It's important that it's artisanal. Yeah, it must go, be artisanal. Some, some goddamn thing. But I'll tell you what, it's fucking good here. Have some. Yeah, it's good. yeah I'm, I'm normally not a brandy guy. But. <laughs> Can you play a little brandy? You know that? Did you ever play that in a band? <laughs> I bet, bet you could. Yeah, I was in Looking Glass. Um, I'll yeah. bet. You, were you? Well, you weren't in Looking Glass, but you no, were but, in the Left Bank. I was. I was. It's true. It's it's a little bit of a rock and roll horror story. But well, it was kind of an amazing story. I, you too. should have asked me first. A <laughs> <laughs> left bank band, a band, frankly, I cannot stand. You know, yes. you know, my feeling about like the the Beatles is like how to make the Morse out of harpsichord. But for a keyboard player, it's a fucking great game. Oh yeah, it's a dream job. I mean, you know, as a keyboard player, you rarely have the intro unless you're Alton John. But then you're Alton John and you're singing it too. Um, but as far as just being a keyboard player, a lot of songs, the intro is. Is a keyboard part or a harpsichord part, and a lot of times it's a very challenging part, an interesting part, and uh, and a very important part of the band. It has to be up front in the mix, etc. So all the things that you know keyboard players fight against because guitar and rock and roll is still king mm-hmm. and 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 gets more play and it's just a keyboard is not thought of in in the same way even even to this day. I mean, I think you know younger bands are playing more keyboards and. Um, but in rock and roll, it's it's the guitar, and well, so that that was it was a nice thing to be sort of in a group where that was a, a huge focus, and I got to play a lot of different stuff, and I got to play a lot of things honestly I'd never played before. I, I didn't come from that background either, and was not a big fan. I knew Walk Away Renee, but I had never, you know, realized until there was three types of people I said I would I would meet when I <laughs> when I said I was in a left bank. They, they would go who, and then they go, no idea who it was. You say Walk Away Renee, and they'd go, oh yeah, or. The super uber, oh my God, the left bank, they're reuniting. What? When is it happening? I've got both those records. They're the greatest. There's people mm-hmm. who just, are, there's this, a lot of people out no, there. There's absolutely huge a cult. record geeks and love those first And there's albums. definitely a cult around that band. And, and, you know, a lot of bands have played in that period. You know, British, although, I mean, broke pop. I mean, they definitely influenced other bands. There's no question about it. Oh, yeah, the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles, George Harrison, I think, at one time. You know, said they were his favorite American band. I mean, they were on that level of just in the late sixties were a huge, huge act, but they were so young so, and and badly managed and it, it just sort of uh, we're very old and badly managed, but I just want <laughs> people to remind people that the the, the resume of, of, of Mickey Fan, my, my accompanist, and I, I love I love sorry, I love calling you my accompanist, you know. I know you do. It makes me feel like Liza. With with a Z. Right, with a Z. <laughs> um yeah, but there you were. Okay, the left bank, 
I mean, I mean, seriously, holy shit. The Miracles. I mean, my mm. God. And one of my other favorite bands, a, more, a slight, slightly more contemporary <laughs> than, <laughs> yeah. than, than The Miracles. Uh, you, you've been gigging and touring with Boss Hogg with yes. uh, our good friends uh, John Spencer from the Blues Explosion, of course, and his beautiful wife, Christina Martinez. Yes, yes. Um, we are releasing an EP. Uh, doing a West Coast tour in July and a new album they, coming out at the end you got of the, the year. Machine, or, can you play some some like yeah, some of the current yeah. stuff? Why not? Uh, uh, Mickey Finn. Mickey have, Finn. I don't know if I have current stuff. What do you got? <laughs> I got the we'll, theorem. We'll, we'll play an old one. All right, let's hear a little bit of Boss Hawk. That's Mickey Finn here live on Arts and Seizures Heritage Radio, coming at you straight from Bushwick. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper-awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super-awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right, the, the sponsor bump that Roberta's uh, tag could really use a keyboard on it, I'm thinking. Yeah, you, you forgot one of my credits. Oh my God! Uh, I'm the composer of the Heritage Radio. Uh, uh, oh my, my goodness! Most recently of the of the new uh, new show, I'm <laughs> I don't know if people who listen to Arts and Seizures know that I am now also an on air weather personality. That's right. I'm not a real meteorologist. I'm just a propped up <laughs> on air weather personality, a weatherologist, as my friend Chris Knowles. Uh, Owens <laughs> once coined it. Uh, so keep your ears open for that. And Mickey, who composed the theme music. Um, very eyewitness news team circa circa mid seventies. It's yeah. um it's quite frankly a minor masterpiece. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, we much. are on uh, the You Are a Complete Disappointment book tour. That's my new memoir. And uh, I want to tell you guys about that. I hope you'll go out and um, get a copy. And it's... Uh, Especially at Mother's Day, it's about parents and um, kind of my bad relationship with my folks, and especially my father, and growing up in suburban New Jersey. But what the book's really about, it's about being the person that you that you want to be, and not the person that you were told you should be. And uh, a message I think resonates pretty loudly with every every single musician I know. It's true. Uh, it's true. But you, I've met your folks. Your folks are great. They're very, very yeah. Supportive. I think I think my only uh, sort of experience with that is I think. I looked at my parents and my father in particular, who bought a house at 27 and raised two kids and put me through college. And uh, I was not on any kind of track to do that and uh, felt sort of like I hadn't, you know, accomplished what he did or was sort of a failure or behind or whatever. A lot of things that any young musician has probably been through because unless you're wildly successful at a young age and stay that way, it's just, it's music is a tough business it's and it takes a long time to break through and meet people and get to the place. Even if you're good, even if you're great, you know, Oh my God, we know a lot of people more talented than we are. who have never made it out of the garage and absolutely. we've both been all over the world. We're so yeah. fortunate, Very you know, fortunate. the bands I've been in, been in Tokyo, Paris, not to mention Ann Arbor and Metuchen, New Jersey. That's right. Yes. Um, and we're on tour now. Please check it out. MikeEdison.com. All the tour dates are up for you are a complete Disappointment, and of course, you can buy, buy a book and uh, read, read, read this uh, tragic comic tale. Uh, we're going to be in San Francisco Friday the 13th, so I hope we'll see you there or Oakland the next night. And uh, as ever, Mickey Finn, it's been the fastest half hour on radio. Uh, I really is, yeah. I, I'm, uh, 
flattered, humbled, and quite privileged to have you along for the ride. It's, it's been great. I mean, I want to talk some more. This is like our third book tour together-ish, right? We sort yes. of stumbled through the first one starting by flipping burgers you know, out, out in Red Hook. But, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, we're, we're, we're getting around. We're going places, kid. We're going places. The Dirty, Dirty, Dirty Tour was epic. <laughs> the Dirty, Dirty, Dirty Tour was epic. epic. And don't forget, when we get to Chicago, we're going to be at Quimby's. Um, it's June 3rd, and we're having a party at Demos Pizza right around the corner afterwards, and they're making the Mike Edison Dirty Pie. So right. whatever accolades you might think you've gotten as a writer, all right, fuck all y'all, because I had a pizza named after me. Yeah, the I think Mike that Edison was the, Dirty Pie. The, the most excited I've ever seen you. Oh, my God. And if anybody's wondering, the Mike Edison Dirty Pie has got okra and andouille sausage on it. It's like a gumbo pie, and it is fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Mickey, before we go, I thought maybe we'd tell one more story from my book. Let's do it. All right. And uh, we're going to see you guys out on the road. Arts and Scissors is going to be on and off a little bit this summer, but it's all right because we're coming to a town uh, near you. Look for Mickey Finn uh, with me, of course, and also with the great Boss Hogg, who's going to be uh, out on the road playing the In the Reds uh, anniversary party in Los Angeles and uh, pretty much everywhere. But be careful. They are a dangerous band. New York's most dangerous band. All right. Um, I'll tell you one more story from my book, and I'm going back. Mickey, I'm going back. I'm going way back. You know, the, the 70s, we've been talking about this. Things were different. It was a wide open time. Uh, you know, it was like, like, like anything could happen. And uh, I, wanna remember, I remember catching a Frisbee at a David Bowie concert. It was 1978. It was the Heroes Tour, which may or may not sound like a major life event, but it was a very big deal. Rock concerts were happenings and tossing frisbees and beach balls through the giant clouds of marijuana smoke that filled up the arena was an important part of the trip. And for David Bowie in 1978, everyone had really stepped up their act. Women came dressed to this revival meeting with tons of glitter, hot pants, platform boots, and tight Diamond Dogs t-shirts faded from the previous tour. A lot of the men came out sporting the Aladdin Sane lightning bolt. It was as if Jesus had fallen to earth. The girl that asked me to go to the show with her was wearing denim overalls and no shirt. The bib and the straps just somehow managed to cover her nipples and her breasts hung there flawlessly like some sort of middle finger in the face of gravity. And even in this crowd, she nearly caused a riot. I have no idea why I was invited. There were four of us. I was the youngest. I was 14 years old. And she held my hand when we got off the train and made our seats to the arena floor. Anyway, I caught a Frisbee. And you always kind of hoped that one would come your way. And then if you did, you'd be quick enough to catch it because it was a lot more badass than just swatting at some big old gay beach ball. But before I could fling the frisbee back, the guy next to me said, wait a second, dude. And he took it from me, he flipped it over, and he poured a big pile of sparkling white powder on it. We all snorted a line. And then I let the frisbee sail. And let me tell you, I can throw a frisbee with the best of them. It's one of the five things I do really well. 
And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to huck a Frisbee across the arena at Madison Square Garden, but it is truly something else. There was a lot of open space, and you could really air it out. And with what turned out to be pure amphetamine percolating across my brain and David Bowie about to start the show, it was one of the finest, most crystalline moments of the entire decade. This was me living in the extreme present. And this is what my father never got. Never mind snorting mystery dust off our Frisbees at David Bowie concerts. He never learned how to let go and be in the moment. He was always worried, worried about what other people thought. He was so freaked out worrying about the future that he let the future be the enemy of the now. It's like Bill Hex once said, if you were living for tomorrow, you'll always be a day behind. All right, thank you guys. Let's hear it for Mickey Finn, the world's greatest piano player. He's coming with me. We're coming to a town near you. Please check out MikeEdison.com for all the tour dates. You are a complete disappointment is the new book. Arts and Seizures, thanks to Dave and the booth and everybody in Radio Land. We're going to see you real soon. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.